Um, welcome everyone, if you're new, and we have a couple of new people here this morning. If you're new, my name's Obed. Um, I'm one of the leaders of King's Cross Church, and it is, um, we are very thankful that you've decided to use this part of your Sunday together with us this morning. Um, you guys have heard everything announcements-wise, but before we get into our study, um, we have been distributing these journals um, for Ecclesiastes. That's the book we began to study. And if you have not got a copy, um, go and grab a copy. We have a um, Gethsemane. Do we have a box there? Yeah, yeah. We have a box there at the back. Um, make sure you grab one because it's helpful to have the text and the scripture in front of you. But it's also helpful to have this cool little journal where you can kind of write notes and stuff in there. Um, and if you're new, go and grab one as well. Yeah, it's our gift from us to you. Um, whether you come back to King's Cross or not, whatever. It's our gift from us to you. Um, you can keep it. Um, and so grab one of them. Um, have we run out? Do we have more? No, we don't. What's happened? We should have another box. Sorry, guys. We're going to have the text on the screen. I feel bad. I was like hyping it and then we run out. Oh gosh. All right. Turn to Ecclesiastes. <laughs> turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you're new, that has been the book. Um, as of two weeks ago, we started to study and it's been an interesting time, but it has been a very, very beneficial um, time for us. This week, we're going to be in chapter one. And we're going to be zeroing in on verses 12 to 18. Verses 12 to 18. I'm going to read the scriptures over you. And as I read, follow along as best as you can. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Um, can someone close that door? Thank you, guys. Thank you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time and the gift, the gifts you've given us. God, you have given us your word, which is powerful, um, which is life-changing, which is alive and speaks to us Specifically, God, thank you for our church family and community and how we're not called to live this 
Christian life alone on an island, but we're called to live it in a community of people that love and follow you. Um, God, most importantly, thank you for Jesus. Jesus is everything. And as we continue our journey, exploration, quest in Ecclesiastes, may your son Jesus Christ become more and more valuable than anyone or anything in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, um, we took a nosedive into Ecclesiastes and began um, to explore this weird but wonderful book. First 11 verses, we discovered that according to the preacher, um, who's the brains behind Ecclesiastes, um, and the preacher, some people think it's Solomon, the great King Solomon, who was super wealthy and wise. Other people don't think it's Solomon. Um, I think it's Solomon, but what I also say is that it doesn't really matter who wrote this book. Um, what matters is what they said. And so last week we discovered that according to the preacher, everything that is in this world is Hevel. Everybody say Hevel. Your first Hebrew word this morning. Hevel is a Hebrew word that means vapor, mist, or smoke. And so in the writings of Ecclesiastes, the preacher uses Havel a lot. In fact, he uses it 38 times. And if you've read Ecclesiastes from start to finish, you're going to hear Havel, Havel, Havel. You're probably not because you are reading it in your English language. And so what does Havel mean? Havel means vanity or meaningless. And so your English translations, if you've read it, you're going to see vanity or vanities. All is vanity, all of that. And the preacher uses Havel as a metaphor to describe what life is like. Tim Chaddick says the way he uses the word vanity has less to do with mirrors and makeup and more to do with the meaning of life. According to the preacher, life is like a vapor, all right? A puff of smoke. And what he means by that is that life is fleeting and futile. It's here today, gone tomorrow, and it's unstable and uncontrollable. Life and everything here on this earth is Havel. Knowledge is <laughs> I was power you're going, you're getting ahead of yourself <laughs> knowledge is power this phrase has to be one of the most famous sayings on planet earth this celebrity of sayings was first quoted by Sir Francis Bacon. What a name. And he quoted this in his 1597 book titled, 
and I have to get this right, Meditationes Sacre. Sir Bacon was a great English philosopher, and he's also regarded as one of the greatest thinkers in history. And he coined this phrase, knowledge is power, to basically communicate that knowledge is the most powerful tool to achieve anything in this world. And ever since he coined this phrase, it's actually gone viral. All right? Most of you here know or have heard that phrase. It's gone viral. It's been used by politicians, celebrities, musicians, athletes, everyone else. The phrase, knowledge is power, comes up over and over and over again. If you go on Amazon and you type in knowledge is power in the search engine, you're going to see multiple pages come up of literature, of books, with the title of books that's, that are talking about knowledge is power. It's a thing. In our culture, knowledge is viewed as the solution to all of life's problems. But Ecclesiastes has a totally different perspective on knowledge. Our culture may idolize the idea of knowledge being power, or our, sorry, our culture may idolize knowledge, but the preacher in Ecclesiastes will criticize knowledge. He will show us that wisdom and knowledge are right and good, but he will also help us see that knowledge will never be enough to solve all of life's problems. This week, we'll look at the preacher's quest for satisfaction in knowledge, and as we do, we'll see that knowledge is like everything else. It's hevel, it's fleeting, and it's futile. But before we dive into this study, this is what I want us to do. I want us to spend some time um, looking at something interesting that happens in this book. And it's a change, okay? Um, a change happens. And this change will not only help us know the preacher better, but this change will help us take to heart what he's about to share. And that change is this. The preacher gets personal. Look at verse 1. Look at verse 12. Sorry. Look at verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. In the very first verse of Ecclesiastes, verse 1, the preacher was introduced as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Here, in verse 12, the preacher introduces himself, and he introduces himself as king over Israel in Jerusalem. Also, the previous section, that is verses 1 through to verse 11, um, is basically a quotation um, from one of the preacher's teachings. It's someone quoting the preacher, right? You remember, it started off in verse 2. It says, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, but from verse 12, what's happening is that we're going to hear from the preacher himself. 
I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. There's a shift, there's a change in Ecclesiastes from the third-person point of view to a first-person testimony. Um, Derek Kidner, who wrote an awesome book on Ecclesiastes, says this, we turn from analogies and impressions to what we can now, we can know directly from experience. And so, the content we're about to peruse is more of a journal entry than notes from a lecture. The preacher will be sharing from his own experience. He's going to get personal. He's going to move from what he has observed in the world around him to what he has experienced in his own life. He will tell us what his own thoughts and feelings have been as he looks at God, life, and himself. That's the change that happens in this book. And this level of transparency, okay, is totally ex unexpected. And the reason why is this. If you rem remember in verse 12, the preacher identifies himself as what? A king. And a common trait among kings, especially kings in the ancient world, is that kings remained aloof. Kings rarely um, let people into their personal lives. Zach S. Wine, who also wrote an awesome book on Ecclesiastes, says this. Rarely in history, if ever, does the king of a nation present himself so humbly and transparently. Even modern-day CEOs, politicians, coaches, or pastors normally resist this kind of authentic candor. And so for the preacher king to get so personal is unexpected. But what it does is I think it also makes us pay attention because whenever someone of influence decides to share from personal experience, what do we do? We lean forward and pay attention. And that is my desire for you this morning. That is my desire for you throughout our study in Ecclesiastes. I hope and desire that you would pay close attention to what we're about to explore. That you would lean forward with your Bible open, journal, sorry, not everyone has journals, I'm sorry, um, or notepad ready to take notes because we're not only about to study the personal experiences of the preacher king, but most importantly, people, we are about to dive deep and explore the very words of the living God. And so, what exactly does the preacher want us to know from personal experience? First, he, he, he wants us to know that knowledge is limited. Knowledge is limited. If you're making notes, knowledge is limited. Look at the first part of verse 13. It says, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. All right? The preacher has not only lived in the world, but he's been a student. 
of the world he's lived in. He has spent much of his life seeking to understand in a wise way all that is done under the sun. All right? NBA players may devote countless hours to perfecting their jump shot or their three-pointer. Um, musicians may devote hours writing and recording and rehearsing so they can perform on the biggest stage and win the top awards. But the preacher in Ecclesiastes invested much of his time and energy and resources to understanding how stuff works in the world and what life is all about in the world. His pursuit of knowledge was deeply personal and disciplined. And so, after his thorough exploration of the world, how does the preacher respond? What's his conclusion? What does he discover? Look at the last part of verse 13. He says, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That's gnarly, guys. Think about it. He has spent much of his life exploring and studying and trying to figure out how stuff works, and he concludes with, it's an unhappy business. That's a shocking response, ladies and gentlemen. What a waste of life. All right, the Hebrew word for the English word unhappy is raw. Everyone say raw. Raw <laughs> is often translated as evil, but it can also be translated as harm, bad, ugly, and adversity. And so, after devoting, devoting much of his life seeking to understand how stuff works in the world, the preacher concludes that his pursuit of knowledge and understanding is an evil occupation. It's hard and miserable, and it's an unhappy business. And so, after his deeply personal, disciplined pursuit of knowledge, the, the preacher concludes by saying it's an unhappy business. And so the question is why? Why is he saying this whole pursuit of knowledge is an unhappy business? Look at verse 14. I have seen everything that is done under the heaven, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. All right? We've spent much time talking about how life is hevel, okay? And what's interesting is that the phrase he uses here Striving after wind is one of several illustrations of Hevel. And it's not much different to trying to grab a hold of smoke, but when you're striving after the wind, what the Hebrew and the language here is talking about is that you are trying to do to wind what farmers do to their cattle, and that is to herd them. Okay, I have never been done any farming in my life. Okay, I'm a city boy. Okay, I'm from London and I've lived in big cities. So when it comes to the 
great outdoors and agriculture don't have a clue. Okay? So the information I'm giving you is not coming from experience. It's coming from research. Okay? And so farmers, <laughs> farmers, okay, herd cattle. And so the preacher is saying that his deeply personal and disciplined pursuit of knowledge has been an unhappy business because it's been like trying to shepherd, herd, organize, and control the wind. I have three kids, and they absolutely love bubbles, okay? They love bubbles. I don't like them, and the reason why is they blow them everywhere, and guess what happens? It makes a mess on the floor and I have to clean it up because they're not going to clean it up they're going to move on to something else like Legos okay so they like bubbles and I may not like the mess bubbles make but I like watching them have fun with bubbles okay and what they do is they get a little thing they dip it in it squirts every splatters everywhere oh my gosh and then they blow it and what happens bubbles begin to float everywhere and what do they do? They don't sit and watch the bubbles. Kids, generally, will run after the bubble and try to grab it. And what happens when they try to grab it? It disappears. That's the idea here when we talk about the idea of striving after the wind. Daniel Aiken says this, our efforts in this fallen world are like trying to catch the wind in our hand. What would we do if we went outside and found a man with a net in the parking lot trying to catch wind? Call for a psych evaluation. <laughs> Yet all of our exertion to find meaning and satisfaction in things like pleasure, possessions, money, or success are just that crazy. Sure, they look like worthwhile pursuits, but Solomon exposes them. They are grasping at wind. What are you most passionate about knowing? What knowledge do you spend most of your time and resources pursuing? What do you really, really want to know in this life? Maybe it's the latest player rankings and stats from your favorite sports team. You're a stat person. Maybe you spend a lot of your time on CNN or Fox News so that you're up to date with all the political news analysis and opinions. Maybe you have a passion for living a healthy lifestyle and so much of your time is spent researching nutrition and exercises that will help you maintain this healthy lifestyle. Maybe you're into movies or theater or self-help or food or art or music, or Star Wars, or whatever. And much of your time is spent acquiring knowledge about these things. There is nothing wrong with the pursuit of knowledge in these things. 
But here's the problem. If we find that we spend more of our time seeking to know about things on earth rather than what God has said in his word, we'll remain restless and unhappy. That's what he's talking about here. It's an unhappy business. I am doing a leadership cohorting for six months. And um, our last gathering was in Wednesday, and it was on Zoom. And there was a guy who's an incredible theologian. We call him the sage, okay? He's just so wise, knows God's word. And he said this, you know, after just waxing eloquent on theology and how we can apply it as pastors, he stops and says this. We spend more time pondering what's on our social media feeds and pages than pondering and reflecting and meditating on God's word. I was like, the pursuit of earthly knowledge, if left in a vacuum, if that's all we... We, we, we dedicate the majority of our life to <laughs> will be an unhappy business. Why? Because it amounts to nothing. It's like chasing after wind. The preacher has seen it all and done it all and concludes that it's all a waste of time, just like trying to control the wind. He then fine-tunes this conclusion with a proverb, okay? Look at this proverb in verse 15. He says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. As the preacher looks to knowledge to solve all of the world's problems, he discovers that he cannot, he cannot make the world different from how it actually is. He comes to terms with the limitations of knowledge. Knowledge is not so powerful after all because if it was, the many problems in this life would be solved, right? We know so much. Information. We have access to information like never before, okay? All we've got to do is, you know, look at our devices punching something in a search engine and we get access to whatever knowledge we want. But the interesting thing is more knowledge doesn't bring more healing. More knowledge doesn't solve your problem in life. It doesn't because if it did, we'll be all perfect and there would be no issues in this world. We may have more knowledge of the world and humanity but that has not been enough to solve the many issues in this world. Why is that? Because look around us. Corruption still exists in politics, right? Leaders still abuse power. Every year, more than three million children die from hunger-related causes. Okay, but like the, the idea of trying to eliminate hunger, it, it, what we have so much knowledge on multiplying and reproducing food, and we have knowledge on how to transport the food, but hunger is still an issue, isn't it? 
after years of protests, after years of publishing literature after literature, racism still persists. As long as we're on this earth, this is what we have to come face to face with, all right? This is what we have to be <laughs> realize. As long as we're here on this earth, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. And so the question is, why bother? <laughs> right? Why, why do we do anything? Um, why, why do we continue to fight for racial reconciliation? Why do we donate to charities on the front lines of helping hungry people and eradicating cells? Why are we doing all of these things? Why invest in all of our health habits? This is why. I think a difference will be made. But the thing we have to be careful of is having expectations that the issue will be completely eradicated or abolished. Trying to solve the world's problems is vanity. It's like chasing after the wind because as long as we're on this broken, fallen, sin-contaminated earth, okay, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. Today, People say knowledge matters more than anything else. Everyone talks about the importance and centrality of knowledge in changing your future. I don't disagree, right, with the importance of education and knowledge, but if you think for a moment knowledge will solve the greatest difficulties in life, then the preacher wants you to look around at this fractured and broken world to help you see how wrong and misguided you are. And so, knowledge is limited. We just saw that. Next, we'll see that knowledge is frustrating. Knowledge is frustrating. And so, after realizing the limitations of knowledge, the preacher regroups himself, okay, and continues to pursue knowledge hoping he'll find something that will satisfy him. But before he continues, this is what he does. It's so interesting. He reminds himself and us of his intellectual credentials. Look at verse 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were before were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Wow! The preacher was highly intelligent. In the verse we just read, he outlines his credentials. Over the year, he has amassed a great deal of wisdom, and because of this, He's saying he's wiser than any king that has, gone, that has been before him. His credentials are no joke. He's the wisest of the wise, 
top of his class and boasts academic achievements that will make ancient and modern day philosophers and intellects look like first grade students. He is legit. The preacher was highly intelligent. But the interesting thing is the preacher was not satisfied with what he possessed. He wanted more. He had a hungry mind and he had an insatiable desire for knowledge. And so what did he do? <laughs> Look at verse 17, first part of verse 17. He says, I applied my heart to know wisdom, not only wisdom, the good things, but he says, to know madness and folly. Earlier, we looked at how he applied his heart to seek and to search out wisdom. By wisdom, all that is done under heaven. Here, we see that he applied his heart. He had an intense, relentless pursuit to know wisdom and madness and folly. The guy is so discontent with what he already knew, right? What he does is he just wants to find knowledge wherever it's available. Whether it's good or bad, whether it's wise or foolish, whether it's sane or mad, he wanted to know. And so he just went after it, just obsessed with knowledge. But again, after this intense, obsessive pursuit of knowledge, how does he respond? <laughs> what does he tell us about his experience? Look at the last part of verse 17. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. <laughs> the wisest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus himself, just have to clarify that, says that in all of his wisdom, he has not been able to find anything in this world that was more than just chasing after wind. After a lifetime of deeply personal, disciplined pursuit of knowledge, this is what he concludes, okay, with another proverb. Look at verse 18. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Are you hanging in there? <laughs> in other words, the wiser you are, the more worries you have. The more you know, the more it hurts. Ian Provan who has a PhD from Cambridge University and has held teaching and research positions in Europe and America, shares this story um, that comes from his earliest memories as a university student. And I think this helps as an illustration, okay? He says, one of my earliest memories as a student is of standing at a party watching an extremely bright philosophy major, a bottle of vodka in one hand, what a combination, sitting against a wall while banging his head 
rhythmically against it. He had thought deeply and he would have known if, sorry, he had thought deeply and he would have known what Ecclesiastes 1.18 means if he had ever read it. The preacher had it all. Um, he had great wealth because he was a king. Okay, He had great intellect because he was wise. Had all the wisdom in the world. And it only brought him to grief because he discovered through wisdom that nothing really matters. That ignorance was actually bliss. Have you ever said to yourself... If I were smarter and wiser, everything in my life would be better. In the film Limitless, Bradley Cooper, okay? Bradley Cooper, he's this like actor dude. I don't know much about Hollywood and actors, but he's an actor dude. His role, he plays a writer And he gets access to a pill that expands his intellect. Overnight, he just becomes this genius. And he's able to do things that are extraordinary. Yet, what's interesting about this character is that soon he learns that the near-infinite knowledge that he learns that near-infinite knowledge does not solve life's problems. In fact, with this dramatic increase in intelligence comes great pain. If you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about. Rather than producing happiness, his mental abilities became crippling burdens. This part of the film, there's a lot in the film that we probably are like, oh, baloney, don't believe that. But I think this theme in the film aligns with the, the, the theme of Ecclesiastes, okay? Especially verse 18, which says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So you guys are like, oh, okay, that's like this ancient... Ecclesiastes dude saying that, oh, that was Barry Cooper in like a movie. You know, show me someone who's legit that believes the same thing. Okay. Albert Einstein and Bertrand Russell. This is what they had to say in one of their publications. We have found that the men who know most are the most gloomy. So far, the preacher in Ecclesiastes has helped us see that knowledge is limited. Knowledge is frustrating. And this all leads to some really big, gigantic, mammoth-sized questions. First is, when human wisdom and knowledge are subject to human limitations, what hope? can they ever really offer? 
The next question is, without the promise of life after death, what can we ultimately expect from life except death itself? Last question, without a savior, how can we hope to be saved? These questions might make us uncomfortable, but as my friend Tim Chaddick says, it will make us better. They will help us own up to the fact that life without God is sad and hard. Life without God is lonely. Life without God is overwhelming. The preacher here reminds us that putting too much value on knowledge and expecting it to save us is a futile and an unhappy business. Human wisdom and knowledge, he's saying, if we're placing all of our hope, all of our meaning, all of our significance in human wisdom and knowledge, it's all Havel. They cannot stand on their own because at the end of our lives, intellect, experience, innovation, or self-awareness alone will not be enough. And this acceptance of the limitation and the frustration this whole knowledge thing creates in us is what I believe we need to look outside of ourselves into a more solid and satisfying knowledge and wisdom. While the preacher... Um, Tim Chaddick says this, while the preacher trashes the idea of human wisdom's ultimate power, he starts to introduce the concept of a far stronger and more reliable brand, divine wisdom. All right, divine wisdom. God's wisdom makes straight what is crooked and supplies that which is lacking. The way he gives wisdom brings us closer to an understanding of who he is and how he works in our lives. One of the wisest things the preacher is saying to us in this life from this passage is this. The problem of life cannot be solved under the sun why? Because we are not God. The idea of our intense pursuit of knowledge to understand everything and to figure everything out. Where is that coming from? If you go back to the garden, what did the serpent say to Adam and Eve? He said, look, you eat this fruit that you're not supposed to eat you're going to know, and you're going to be like God. The problems of life cannot be solved under the sun because we are not God. And that is our default mode and tendency with our pursuit of knowledge because we want to be like God. 
in a world where politics, economics, and justice are twisted, where there is so much that is lacking, God is the source of all answers, and God provided the solution to our crooked and broken world by sending his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, their son of God, straightens our crooked hearts provides that which we lack and changes our definition of success by connecting our story to his. And as we get to know Jesus, this is the interesting thing. We will notice that our use for wisdom and knowledge also changes. How? We no longer look for meaning and significance and security in what we know and we no longer look to knowledge as the savior of the world but instead we look to Jesus who is the right and proper and legit savior of the world who's unlimited in power to save and the more we know Jesus the more we love him right you see the parallels right knowledge is limited Jesus is unlimited, right? The more we get to know what happens, the more frustrated we become. But the more we know Jesus, the more satisfied we are. How have you viewed knowledge? I hope the preacher in Ecclesiastes has begun to help you see how Havel knowledge is and because of this it's the beginning of us pursuing and grabbing hold of the knowledge that actually matters and that is the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ King's Cross Church May we recognize the limitations and frustrations of knowledge. And as we do, we'll stand before an invitation to lean on divine wisdom and Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. God of creation, you have given us so many good gifts, learning, knowing is a gift from you to us, but like all gifts that you've given us, we tend to idolize them. And so God, as we've seen, Knowledge, if it's put in your place, knowledge, when we worship it in the way we're supposed to worship you, disappoints us. It surely does, but even in those moments, you are gracious enough to help us know that knowing you is the most satisfying and the most secure 
and the most long-lasting thing we can ever experience. And so lead us in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.